love. Love is a word that we use a lot to describe the things that we have affection for. And we love a lot of things, don't we? We love our kids. We love our spouses. We love our freedom. We love the cardinals. <laughs> now, you didn't say that when we said we love our spouses. No. We love chocolate. We love pizza. We love dogs. And some even love cats. We love a lot of things. We love so much that over the last 60 years, there have been over 100 number one songs on the billboard that had the word love in it. Let me give you some examples. Back in 1956, Elvis wanted people to love me tender. And then a few years later, he sang that that he, he can't help falling in love in 1962. Even though he couldn't help falling in love, some obviously could because there were some who had lost that love and feeling, according to the Righteous Brothers. Very good. The Supremes wanted people to stop in the name of love while the Beatles told us that all you need is love. A few years later, while the Partridge family sang, I think I love you, Olivia Newton-John could say, I honestly love you. In 1975, the Eagles were willing to give the best of my love, and Captain Tennille told us that love will keep us together. By 1976, Paul McCartney was decrying all that silly love songs, but REO Speedwagon vowed in 1981 to keep on loving you. It was the only thing they wanted to do. Lionel Richie and Diana Ross knew that they would keep on loving because they sang about their endless love in 1981, while Tina Turner wanted to know what's love got to do with it in 1984. In 1985, Whitney Houston was saving all my love for you, even as foreigners said, I want to know what love is. Now, I stopped in 1985 because I stopped listening to music in 1985. <laughs> But there's also some love words in Christmas music. Maybe you didn't realize that. Because we love love, right? So here's a few from Christmas. All My Love for Christmas, Lone Star, 1998. Christmas Ain't Christmas Without the One You Love, the OJs in 1969. Obviously didn't go to Catholic school. <laughs> Christmas is the time to say I love you, Billy Squire in 1981. And... Give Me Love on Christmas Day, The Jackson Five in 1970, starring little Michael Jackson. And finally, Gloria Estefan, Love on, a lay on Layaway in 2000. <laughs> Only Gloria Estefan, Love on Layaway in 2000. And that's what we've been talking about these last weeks, about how on earth can we possibly reclaim Christmas when we're putting Christmas and love and everything else on layaway. We want to have an Advent conspiracy. We want to reclaim Christmas. So we've been talking about worship fully, spend less, give more, and today, love all. Now, the week that we talked about worship fully, uh, we talked about the Mary Miracle. And if you'll recall that, the Mary Miracle is 
The miracle that happened to Mary is the same miracle that can happen to you and to me. In other words, Christ can be born or come alive in me, right? And Christ can grow in me, and Christ can come forth from me, and Christ can change the world around me. When we fully understand and embrace the Mary miracle, what we do with our Christmas season, what we do with the Advent season, is we worship the Lord fully and gladly. Then two weeks ago, we talked about spending less. We talked about the gift of presence with a C instead of the gift of presence with a T. We talked about, in fact, I challenged you as a congregation to give half of your Christmas money to the kingdom, to find ways to use that money for the kingdom of God. And I know many of you have told me that that's exactly what you've been doing this year, and I applaud you for that. And then last week we talked about how do we give more. And we recognized how we can give more by looking at what was given to Jesus. Uh, The three magi, or at least uh, the ones that we record, uh, the three magi came with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. A gift for a king, a gift for a priest, and gift for a savior. And in response to that great gift, we give him our heart. We give less money to things and give more of ourselves to the Savior. Now, the last message in this series is to love all. In the midst of gifts and Santa and parties and lights and cookies, it comes down to this. How do we love? How do we love God? How do we love each other, other Christ followers? How do we love those who are not Christ followers? And maybe most importantly, how do we love our enemies? How do we love this Christmas season. There was something that happened in the uh, early church. In fact, the first 30 to 40 years after Christ ascended ascended from the earth to heaven, things were happening on the planet that were totally extraordinary. The gospel was being proclaimed and believed and embraced, and lives were being changed by the thousands all over Asia Minor. Eventually, that movement went to Europe and even to the States and throughout the world. But that movement of Christianity that we called it, that movement changed literally thousands and thousands of lives. And here's how it happened. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the clear, beautiful, precise gospel that Jesus came to this earth as a baby, that he, wrote, he grew up and he gave his life a ransom for our sins. He died. He was resurrected on the third day. He ascended to the Father in heaven. That simple gospel message was delivered to all of the people of the world with one and only one delivery system, and that was love. These early disciples had no uh, leverage. They had no financial leverage, no political leverage, no ecclesiastical leverage. They had no leverage at all. The only way they could present their message was through the message of love. The gospel spread throughout this world because of this message, this beautiful message. So Jesus gathered his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He said, guys, I've got to tell you something. I've got to tell you what matters more than anything else. I've got to tell you what's going to change the world. And this is what he said to his disciples. By this one thing, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. This one thing, everyone will know you are my disciples 
if you love one another. So the very message that Jesus left as he was ascending to heaven, the very thing he wanted to share with his men so that they could go out and share with the world was this idea that the gospel has to be proclaimed through love. Through love. In this concise, pay close attention moment, Jesus identified the mark of every true believer. It's not when were you baptized or how much of the Bible do you know or how often do you go to church or is your doctrine sound? All good things. But instead he said, the one thing I really want you to focus on is how do you love one another? Let me ask you this. In your Christmasing, in your being merry, in your enjoying this season, hopefully you're enjoying this season, how often have you stopped and paused and said, now what does love compel me to do? What does this love that God has put in my life compel me to do? Now, we have some things that we've offered you that uh, will give you an opportunity to love well. Uh, We're feeding the homeless on Christmas morning. Um, We're taking care of the San Marcos School, a Title I school. All of the kids have all the supplies they need for this semester. And uh, next, uh, in January, we're going to do a shoe drive, make sure they all have shoes. So we're doing those things that we need to do that show love. But how often have you stopped during this Christmas season and said to yourself, What does love require? Because Jesus said the most important thing you can look at, the most important question you can ask is this. What does love require of me? With God? With my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? With people that don't know Christ? And people that are my enemies? What does love require of me? So here's how this was set up. Jesus um, was constantly teaching everywhere. He would teach in the synagogue when he was allowed, teach out on the streets, teach in homes. This one particular time, he was teaching in a synagogue. Now, at this point, the Pharisees, the church leaders, these were the people who had leverage. They had financial leverage, ecclesiastical leverage. They had educational leverage. They had all the leverage. They were the key holders to the kingdom, you might say. They were the ones who said whether you were good enough or you weren't good enough. So these were the people that were listening to Jesus' message. And his message was about love and it was about grace and about forgiveness and about sacrifice. And they didn't quite get that. And so they were constantly trying to trip Jesus up, right? So this one particular time, they said, okay, I've got a question that'll trip him up for sure. Here's what they said. Uh, Jesus, uh, I've got a question for you. And they said, um, uh, what is the greatest commandment of all? Now, the Pharisees knew what Jesus knew, and that there were the Big Ten, right? The Ten Commandments, everybody's top ten list. The Big Ten, out of those Big Ten flowed 600 other laws. Out of those 600 flew, uh, flew, 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 came many, many thousands of laws and rules and regulations, all trying to somehow define the original ten. Very crazy. So all these laws are out there, and the Pharisees are thinking, if we can just get Jesus to say, okay, this is the most important, then we can counter that and say, no, it's really this, and we can have an argument and show that he's not very smart and all of that. So that's what they did. What's the greatest commandment of all? This is what Jesus said in Mark 12, 30 and 31. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second command is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he closed this way. No other commandment is greater. Now say that out loud with me. 
No other commandment is greater. So when you leave church today, you say, well, yeah, okay, love, love, love. Yeah, but really what matters to me is how you were baptized. No, no other commandment is greater. What really matters to me is my doctrine about uh, the second coming. No, no other thing is greater than how you love God and love people. So you say, okay, well, that was Jesus. He was kind of a softy. Later, Paul comes and he, the hammer, you know, Paul and John, they're the hammers. No, 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 they had the same message. In Romans chapter 13, Paul said the identical message, quoting Jesus. This is, and by the way, this is 25 years after Jesus. And then John, originally the young guy, right, in the disciples, John later was writing. And so he wrote 40 years after this, 15 years after Paul, and they wrote the same thing. Listen to what he said in Romans chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. Now this is Paul speaking, quoting Jesus. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. Now, he didn't list all the commandments, just a few of them, but we get the idea. Okay, these are the top ten. These are the big ones. Paul said, these and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Okay, so all the commandments, not only the big ten, but the 600 and the thousands of other rules and regulations are all summed up in this one commandment. They're listening. What on earth could that be? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. All the teachings, basically Jesus said, Paul said, all the teachings you grew up with hang on these two laws. Everything else flows from and is subservient to these two laws. Now, he would speak to us today the same way. Every teaching that you heard growing up, every sermon you've heard preached, every theological idea or conviction, every, well, what about this or what about that, every thought about sexuality or marriage or race or war or finances or Christmas shopping or spending, everything must go through the filter of loving God and loving people. Everything. Now, the, the, the Pharisees did not like that message at all. They didn't like it at all because it was too simple. It was too clear. They couldn't argue with it. But somehow, some way, we have lost the spirit of what Christ meant. We have lost the spirit of what Advent meant. We have lost the spirit of what it means to give ourselves as Christ gave himself to us. In other words, Jesus would have said something like this. Don't you dare take my law my commandments to unlove somebody. Don't you take my Bible and pound somebody over the head. Don't you take my commandments and should them and ought them. You first default position is to love God and love people. Everything else is subservient to that. And that leads to the question, what does love require of me? So Jesus would never want his laws, his commandments, his 600 laws, his thousands of rules and regulations, he would never want those to unlove someone or hurt someone or listen here, them someone. Yeah, well, those people or that group. All the laws and the prophets, Jesus said, hang on, hinge on these two laws, love God, love each other. No excuses. Yeah, but 
baptism really matters. Of course it matters. But you love God, you love people first before you ever get to the discussion about baptism. Yeah, but you've got to have the right ecclesiology. You've got to have the right eschatology. Okay, all good. Okay, no problem. But all things must flow from how do we love God and how do we love each other? How do we deliver that message? So we were in, last summer we were in San Diego for uh, visiting Sherry's mom and dad. We were in La Mesa. And they had an Oktoberfest. And I guess it was October, if that's when we were there. And so we, and, and no, we didn't drink all the beer and everything. But we were at this awesome Oktoberfest, all the booths and everything. Well, there's a whole bunch of these guys with big signs. And you know the signs. These are bullhorn guy, right? You know bullhorn guy? Bullhorn guy, you know, repent or, you know, turn or burn, you know, repent, you know, you know all those guys, bullhorn guy. Well, these were sign guys. And they had the big signs, you know, turn to Jesus or go to hell. And stuff, you know, really pleasant, godly stuff like that. And all of these signs that said all these things. And I went up to one of them and I said, I said, how many people have you seen come to Christ through your signs? Well, none, but we're hoping that'll happen one day. Well, I said, you know what? You might want to try what Jesus tried. He kind of got my attention like, you mean Jesus wouldn't be carrying a sign like this? Turn or burn, you know? Uh, no, no. Jesus would be out talking to people, connecting to people, hearing their story, loving them, and then sharing the good news of Jesus' love with them. That's what he would... The guy didn't like my plan at all. Uh, he liked his sign. But the question I have to ask every time I run into somebody like that is what does love require of me? It'd be really easy for me to unlove him and Jesus say, no, even that Pharisee needs Jesus. What does love require of me? Jesus said, people will know about Jesus and his love by how you love each other. And hear this, by how you love your enemies. So here's what we need to say. Every law, every doctrine, every precept, every concept of God, every Bible verse, everything needs to be seen through the filter of love one another and love God. Therefore, I need to ask the question of myself. You need to ask the question of yourself regarding this. If this is true, what does love require of me? Everything needs to come through this filter. If this is true, what about my wife? Uh, what about my boss? How about my friends, my family? How about the people I don't like, the people that are different races than me, different sexual orientation, different political preference? What does love require of me to them? The people that want to argue about uh, what happened in Ferguson, the people that want to argue about our borders, the people that want to argue about all of these things, these political things, that's okay to have a disagreement, but how do you love those people that are wanting to argue with you? How are you loving those people that feel differently than you do? That's what love requires. Sometimes we think we are so godly by being angry at people. That's not the key. What does love require? require of me. This is the default position. This is a game changer. I grew up in a fundamental church. My hope is built on nothing less than Schofield Notes and Scripture Press. I grew up on this stuff. And I grew up on the commands of God. And yet we never talked about the heart of the commander. There was a guy in our church, his name was John Gray. John Gray, I don't know, I think at one time he memorized the entire Bible. King James, of course, because that's all, you know, Paul and Silas use it. Why wouldn't we, you know? And so, but he memorized the, the King, and he just knew all these Bible verses. And every time you did something wrong, he would, he would chew you out with a verse from the Bible. Every time. He had a verse for everything. 
Every bad behavior, he had a verse for it, even if it didn't fit. You know, he just threw it at you. So John knew the Bible. He knew theology. He could pray for hours. The guy did all this. But you know what? He was the most unhappy, ungodly, mean-spirited man I have ever known. How many people do you think came to Christ through the ministry of John's knowledge about the Bible? Zero. In fact, all of his kids fled from his house as soon as they could. We need to get back to what changed the world those first 300 years before we organized in the 4th century and we started deciding, okay, we've really got to fight and argue about doctrine. Okay, That's what really matters. And then from the 4th century until today, the church is still fighting about doctrine. Why don't we go back to loving people the way Jesus did? Uh, you know, he was firm when he had to be firm with the Pharisees, with the religious people. He was a hammer. But when it came to people that were broken, the woman taken in adultery, the Pharisees were ready to throw stones at her. And, 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 and he said, the first one of you, the one of you that has no sin, back away. Uh, you know, throw the first stone. They all backed away. Jesus picked her up and he said, listen, I don't condemn you. Now, he didn't he didn't like her sin. How could you like sin? It's hurting her and it's hurting people around her. He said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. So it's not, we're not talking about just winking at sin or saying it doesn't matter. Of course it matters because you hurt people and you hurt yourself. But what we're talking about is how do we respond to people? Do we respond like John Gray where we're the hammer of righteousness or do we come with the grace of God through love and deliver that message to where people listen? The Bible says the goodness of God, the kindness of God draws men to repentance not the hammer of God. What does love require of me? If you are a Jesus follower, not just a you know, Christian, but a disciple, I'm willing, are you willing to step into this realm of asking the question, what does love require? Because, friends, this is a different world. Uh, we've known, all grown up in the world of, you know, who's got the right doctrine, who's got the correct doctrine, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm a doctrine guy. I love it. I mean, I know what I believe. I have strong convictions. The Bible is the Word of God. It's my source of life, and I, so I know that. But we deliver that in such an ungodly way that people scream and run away from the church. That's not right. I talked to a gal after the first service. She said, I've never heard a message like this. I've always heard that if we beat people over the head enough with our Bibles, that somehow they'll be beaten to commission, and that never works. If you're bullhorn guy or sign woman, it never works. Now, for the next few minutes, I want to show you how extraordinary Jesus' teaching was when he told the Pharisees to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What an extraordinary teaching that was. And let me do it by giving you a personal example. And this personal example really is your personal example as well. So think about this. Each one of us have been impacted mightily by two different types of people, okay? So just think about that, okay? You have been impacted, all of us, by two different types of people. Two categories of people that have made you who you are today, the way you've responded to them, the way you're a father or a wife or a student or an employee, a friend. These two categories of people did not influence you because of their beliefs necessarily, maybe somewhat, but not entirely, not because of their beliefs or because they were a Christ follower or because they were religious or because they went to church. These two categories of people really shaped you and formed you, those who hurt you and those who loved you. Now you think back of all the people who have shaped your lives, and I guarantee you that you have pictures of people in your mind right now, people that 
hurt you and people that loved you. More than their doctrine, more than their Christian beliefs, more than their teaching, and all of those things are good things. Please don't hear that. I'm not saying that's good. That all, but if that's not delivered with love, it's not delivered as the gospel. Okay. So we have all these people. So that's why we have mending the soul in our church. That's why we have people who go through counseling because their souls have been broken by somebody, maybe a parent, a grandparent, maybe a teacher, a coach. Somebody has hurt them profoundly and those hurts stay hurt for a long time. They're deep. They're like talons are in your soul. Those people have shaped you. And maybe some of those people had good doctrine, right? We had a neighbor, Carolyn, who lived next door to us in San Diego. Uh, we found out her son was the same age as our son, Tyler. They were just uh, preschoolers together. And, and we found out a little bit about Carolyn. She was very guarded. She said she was a Christ follower, but she doesn't go to church. Okay, we respect that. Over the time, though, got to know her. She started coming to church, and then she told me her story. She was raised in a missionary home. Her father was the head of this missionary organization. If I said it, you would know it's one of the largest in the world. He was the head of that missionary organization, and he had sexually abused she and her sister for 20 years. It's sick. And yet he had the right doctrine. He had the right beliefs. See, if it's not delivered with love, it doesn't affect a soul. So people who hurt you, and then you can all remember people in your mind, maybe a parent, a coach, a teacher, someone who loved you profoundly, and your life has been shaped by that. You felt something spoken into your soul. So you live your life today by the doses of those two things. And the way you have been treated has far more to do with who you are today than what people believed around you. This is why Jesus' words are so extraordinarily profound. And it's extra important that we get this as Christ followers today. This is our, our best play, church. This is our greatest leverage. This is our greatest opportunity to love God completely and to love people profoundly. This is what changed the world in the first 300 years and what we got away from in the fourth century. Now listen, I am a Bible person. You know me. You know my heart. I'm a doctrine person. I love what I believe. I b love our denomination. But listen to this. If we would simply do what Jesus said instead of arguing about what he said, the world would change. Let me say it again. If we would simply do what Jesus said instead of arguing about what he said, the world would change. The reputation of Christ followers would change. The church reputation would change. There would be a brand new world. I hope you're up for it because I am. This is the Advent conspiracy. This is reclaiming Christmas. This is reclaiming Christianity. This is reclaiming it with love. A new command I give you. Jesus never said, a new command I give you, believe correctly. Or, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you have been baptized with the right amount of water or if you have the correct doctrine. You know how much time the church has spent in arguing about what Jesus meant by what he said? Not in the first 300 years. They had no leverage. They just shared the gospel with love. And that's what we must do. That's what we must reclaim. What does love require of me? Isn't that, that's brilliant teaching by Jesus. He was brilliant the way he did that. You, you, everybody knows how you've been shaped by people that have hurt you and people that have loved you. He said, love people. When they, you love them, then their hearts are responsive to the gospel. Then they will listen to you. Empty bellies have no ears, right? Brilliant teaching. Jesus knew the heart of men. So here, here's a question. 
so we, sometimes we look at the gospel and we say, you know, Jesus was kind of unfair. Um, he was uneven. He wasn't fair. You know, we always think fairness is great. The Bible never says that it's going to be fair. But uh, fairness is what matters. So we look at a couple of uh, Pharisees, right, that come to Jesus. Uh, the first one comes, and he says, what do I, what do I need to do? You know, I've got my wallet's open. I'll do whatever it takes. What do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? This stuff that you're talking about sounds really cool. I want it. What can I do to get it? And here's what Jesus said. He said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sell all of your possessions. All, he said. All of your possessions. Give all that to the poor. And then when you have nothing left, come and follow me. And of course, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible is the Bible says that that that, that Pharisee walked away with sadness. Of course he walked away with sadness. He said, I'm not going to trade in all my stuff for you. And so that was, so Jesus was pretty hard with this guy, right? So here's another Pharisee that comes to him and he says, okay, I want to know how to get to the kingdom of God. You know what Jesus said to him, this other Pharisee? He said this, he said, you're this close. One little iota of faith, one little tiny step. He didn't say sell anything. He didn't say give anything. He said, you're this close. How is it that Jesus was so unfair? I'll tell you why. He knew their hearts. He knew their hearts. He knew the heart of the first, uh, he knew the heart of the first Pharisee, and he knew the heart of the second Pharisee. And here's, here's what we need to do. We need to know people's hearts before we make judgments. And we can't do that unless we know them, unless we embrace them, unless we love them. We need to know their hearts. We need to know their stories. So last week we had a, a guy came to church. Uh, Rochelle was the only one here, um, <clears throat> the secretary. And uh, he came, he and his wife. And they came in and they're dressed nicely. They have a, a nice car out in the parking lot. And he gives me his spiel. And his spiel is you know, he, he's giving me the spiel he thinks I need to hear so that I'll give him money. Okay, that, I'll tell you the bottom line right now. So I'm Holy Ghost filled, uh, born again, uh, Bible based. You know, he had all the words and he said, God has told my wife and I to go around and preach the gospel and to do this and that the people will take care of us. We don't need to do anything and just that God will take care of us. And I'm here because God told us to come to this church and ask you for some money. And here's what I thought. No, God's telling me to tell you to get a job. Okay, <laughs> that's what God's telling me. You know, but that was, you know, that I, I don't know. But 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 then another guy comes along, and you hear a story, and you can ask Brandon this. We have these people all the time, especially this time of year. We don't have anything. Here's our story. And you know what? Most of the time, we really buy the story because we don't. We're not to be the judges. We we let, their story seems real. It seems genuine. We give them what we can from our benevolent fund. We take money out of our own wallets. Here, because we believe their story. You can't know somebody's story unless you hear somebody's story. And we need to know people's stories. We need to stop judging them because their pants are down below their waist or they've got tattoos or metal in their head. We need to hear their story and we need to love them the way Jesus did. That's what we need to do. For a day, for a month, for a year, how are you going to live out this love message of Jesus? Are you going to ask the question, today and through the rest of the Christmas season. Hey, listen, for the rest of your life, what does love require of me with a homeless person, with my neighbor, with my wife, with my children, with my enemy? What does love require of me? If we want to change the course of a person's life, we can either love them deeply or we can hurt them with our words or our hands. It's not what you believe so much. It's how you love like Jesus loved.
Well, I just want to mention three statements to clarify this truth as we wrap things up. Because this message um, has to get into us, brothers and sisters. This can't be just something that flies over the, over the top of our heads. This has to get into us. So here's three statements. You can write these down in your sermon notes. Three st- statements to clarify this truth of what it means to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as ourselves. Here's what I would say to that. Uh, statement number one, don't do anything that will hurt you. In other words, I would say, I'm not going to do anything that would hurt myself. Why? Because myself is a creation of God. Don't don't do anything that would hurt you. Number two, don't do anything that will hurt someone else. And number three, don't be mastered by anything. Ask the question, what does love require? So why don't we do anything that will hurt ourselves? Because you can't do anything that hurts you that doesn't hurt Jesus. Now, I know this well as a parent, as a grandparent. The decisions that my kids made when they were growing up, their moral, ethical, sexual, professional, relational, spiritual decisions either hurt me or they blessed me. I love my kids. And I thank God for both of them and their families because they're all Christ followers and they all love Jesus. But when they were growing up, their decisions either hurt me or they blessed me. That's what love requires is before I hurt myself, before I do something that's going to hurt you, my parents or my friends, and also hurt the one who loves me the most, and that's Jesus. Don't do anything that will hurt you. Secondly, don't do anything that will hurt someone else. I will not do or say anything to hurt someone. I will look them eyeball to eyeball. I will hear their story. I will understand where they're coming from. I will see them through the eyes of Jesus, and I will love them whether I like them or like their behavior or not. Thirdly, do not be mastered by anything. Why? This is really important. Because whenever you are mastered by something, it keeps you from loving someone. Listen to me, and please know my heart in this. No one should have to compete with your alcohol. No one should have to compete with your porn, or with your gambling, or with your prescription drugs, or with your anger, or God forbid, with your self-righteousness. No one should have to compete with that. Refuse to be mastered because God and God alone is your master. He's jealous for you, the scripture says. Don't be mastered by anything. Don't do something that will hurt you or someone else and don't be mastered by anything. Now, some of you are here this morning and you're saying, I wish my husband was here to hear this or my Aunt Tilly or something like that. No, I I believe with all my heart that God has exactly who he wants here this morning. This word is a word for you. So here's what Jesus is getting at as I close. When the church attempts to leverage anything other than love, we lose. When we attempt to use culture to motivate culture, we lose. Politics, denominationalism, religion, legalism, we lose. The church had the power, and they've had the power for 1,700 years, and the influence in our world today is most people think Christians are idiots. Most people think Christians are narrow and they're uncompromising and they're just foolish. 
because we have not delivered the good news of Jesus with the gift of love. So once upon a time, there was a handful of beautiful men and women. They were called the followers of Jesus. And they had nothing. They had no financial leverage. They had no political leverage. They had no educational or ecclesiastical leverage. They had only one thing. They had the gospel of Jesus Christ and they delivered it in only one way. And that was love. They knew what it meant to love one another. How can we reclaim Christmas? I believe with all my heart is to ask this question every day with, about my spouse, about my enemies, about my friends, about my church, about my job. What does love require of me? Here's a dream I have. I dream that someday, and it's happening today at certain levels, that someday there will be people that will peer into our church and other churches like us, peer onto our church and say, listen, I'm not sure about this Jesus thing, I'm not sure about the Bible, and I'm not sure about all those other things, but I'm peeking into what you're doing because somebody loved me profoundly. They didn't hurt me. They disagreed with me. They're different from me, but they loved me. And when that happens, when people start peering in, peeking into our church, kind of looking over the edges, saying, I want to know what's going on because someone in that group loved me, we can transform the world. You can't preach or legislate or change the world that way. But when we love, it is so attractive that it draws people. And we must constantly ask ourselves, what can we do? How can we love each other? And when that happens, the church becomes, here's a word I love, the church becomes irresistible. What does love require of me? Would you bow your heads, please, with me? Father, on uh, this Sunday before Christmas, Many times we're very keen on just rehearing this Christmas story, and it's a beautiful story, and we'll hear it on Christmas Eve. But Father, you have compelled me to share this message of what does love require of me? How do we change Christmas? How do we transform families? How do we change the world? It'll never happen through politics or war or any other way, but how do we change this world the way they changed it for the first 300 years? We do it by delivering the good news of God's reconciling love of Jesus with love and love alone. What does love require of me in my home, at my job, at my school, where I work out, where I see people that I don't like or don't care to be with, what does love require of me? Father, would this word be in us? Would you, Father, press this word deep inside of us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself? This is the commandment that you gave us that supersedes every other commandment. May we live that faithfully. What does love require of me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.